Our scripture reading today is from Isaiah 55. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. See, I have made you a witness to the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you, because of the Lord your God. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to dismiss the kids now. Can you just thank our kids for being with us? And they're going to go off to their classes. kind of feel like wisdom is going out the door here. So grateful for all that's happened this week. This has been uh, quite a week here in our nation and in our community and in our church, don't you think? Uh, I don't know if uh, you have continued to watch what's happened in Charleston, South Carolina, as our brothers and sisters who are part of the Emmanuel AME Church during all the memorial services, have given testimony to their faith in Jesus. It's been such a beautiful, beautiful... I think it's blown away even the media in watching genuine faith offering forgiveness to those who come to Jesus. Um, And so many have asked, and I've gotten notes asking us to continue to pray, that God would simply be what He is, one who turns tragedy into great victory, one who takes ashes and turns them into beauty. So I've, I've been just moved so much by that. I've been moved by our children this week. So often I've come, I've come out of my office and I've stood up in the balcony and I've seen these 400 plus kids, 200 plus workers and leaders. And as they have sung that our God has power, uh, power to provide. Oh, it's just not as good. It's not as good when they left. It was better when they were here. But, and on and on, that God has power to comfort. God has power to heal. God has power to love us always. It's, it's been a tremendous thing of, of our children and our families and our church family coming together this week. And then as, as I came in on Friday and was celebrating this matter of our families and our kids, of course, that's also when the Supreme Court hearing uh, came down. A, a matter that has made me today do something I've rarely done that I've, I've switched the topics of what I want to talk about today because I, I'm going to talk to you about Proverbs and, and the issue of friendship. But I think that this issue that came about in our culture is so significant that we dare not gather as God's people 
and ignore it. it. I think it's going to have a huge implication for us in the days and months ahead. Uh, you already know, unless you've, you're, you just haven't even been alive, that our Supreme Court made a decision that the um, constitutional definition of marriage in our country is no longer simply to include uh, a man and a woman, but also to include people of the same gender. And I, I thought that when we gather here, even though I'm sure you know here in Southern California, we have a breadth of opinion. Do you know that uh, about this? And I'll, I'll tell you this, too, that the same thing will be true uh, of a church like ours. I thought at least I should give you my perspective as a senior pastor on this. And just simply stated, I, I want to say I long for us uh, to honor God by, by following his word, whatever happens in our world. Uh, in matters like this, but also to continue to obey his mandate upon us to be people who, when we leave church, we're going to go out and, and, and be like what the people there in Charleston, South Carolina have been, that people will see uh, our relationships and our families and our marriages and say there's something different there, there's something uh, beautiful there. But, I, but I'll tell you with all humility that I can... Um, we're going to need some time to try to work out how both of those things fit together. How we can hold on to what the Bible teaches us uh, about what is right and what is moral and what, what a family and a marriage is supposed to look like and at the same time be, be a, a, a people that love the people in our world who might even uh, disagree with what the Bible has to say. I, I mean, even if, if you're new in church, uh, you, you've got to know how, how challenging and awkward this is. That after a millennia, more, I mean millennia of um, churches all over the world, uh, always saying, okay, what the Bible says about marriage is the same way that our culture and society looks at it, that's changed. So now we have to figure out how do we live in the midst of this situation. Uh, again, uh, even among many of my Christian friends, I've had all sorts of reactions to this as I've talked with people about it. Some have just been angry. Some have been afraid. I had one pastor's friend said, I'm thinking about just uprooting my family and moving to the North Pole and getting away from this for my children. And maybe some of you have felt like that too. Others are uh, celebrating and saying, well, at last, either I or people I care about are going to be able to find acceptance in the world and life will be better for them. I've had that. And then many are, are simply confused. I can even imagine that some people might show up at church today hoping that whoever preaches will say something worth saying. Uh, we will uh, find out about that. So I, I'm going to talk about this. It'll be more of a family chat. You know, I had to just start Friday, so this, is not a, this will not be a smooth, <laughs> polished uh, message. I just want to talk to you as, as the one that God's called to be your senior pastor and call us to, to seek God in this situation. I, I hope that we won't have any applause when I say something you agree with. I really hope you won't boo when I say something you disagree with. And I hope you'll stick, stick with us here and just prayerfully think about what God's word has to say. Where do we start? Well, I, I, um, I believe that the greatest command that Jesus gave us is always a good place to know uh, how, how we might start. And in several places in the New Testament, because Jesus talked about it a number of times, uh, and I think I put the Mark 12 text up here just so you can look at it, when, when he was asked, what is the greatest command? I mean, boiling down all of God's commands, and you know what he said, uh, love God with your whole being, love your neighbor as yourself. 
No greater command than, than these two related commands. Love God with your whole being, which in the Bible, loving God is always connected with us obeying his commands. I know that isn't the way we often think about it, but it all, what Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. And even the, the great command boils down to loving God by putting him first, loving God by honoring his name, loving God by honoring people created in his image by not stealing and killing. And, you know, that, that's, so that's a part of it. We're going to love God by seeking his word and keeping his commands, but we're going to love people as Jesus loved. Now, the, the question I really have is how do you put those together? How are we going to do that? Uh, live for God when what God calls us to do may be counter to the way almost everybody else thinks about things. All right, so my priority in this. Personally, I, 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 want, I want to trust God to be God. I want to remind you that God is God and there is no authority, Romans 13, no authority in this entire world, in our nation or any other, that is not under the authority of God. So there's only one person we have to fear no matter what, so don't take off and go to the North Pole. I want to trust God and I want to obey God because I trust Him. And I'm going to call you to do the same. On and on again. We're going to open this word, see what God says, and then we're going to trust him and obey him. Because when God's people deal with challenging issues, the place where we always start is looking to the Lord, right? We always look to him and say, Lord, our lives are yours. You are my God. What would you have us to do? And the text that Maggie and Randy read for us is one of the ones I thought about, Isaiah 55, especially verses 8 and 9, in which God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are my ways uh, your ways, declares the Lord. It's, it's very strong. And then he says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. All right, so I've got to ask you this. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? No, I, I think most of us who go to church, do believe that God's ways are higher than our ways. But I'm not always sure we think that they are better than, higher than ours. Not when daily decisions come to us. I mean, so we're going through the book of Proverbs, and God says, this is the way that I have made you to use your money, and you think, I want to use it this way. Are his ways really higher and better than yours? What about our use of time, and especially what about this issue now, the matter of how we practice sex, that part of our being that God has given us. I think this is an issue we wrestle with every day of our lives, and that includes your pastor. I wish I were perfect at this. I think there are decisions that come up every day of our lives where you and I just have to make a decision. Do I, re I know what you tell me to do, God. Do I really think your ways are not only different from mine, because they are, but they are better than mine? It often happens in times of trouble, doesn't it? Uh, I've shared with you so many times over the years that these hard times of trouble have, have challenged me in this. When Chris and I lost uh, our second child so many years ago, and then a bit later, then uh, my brother was killed by a drunk driver down in Laredo, Texas, who had had three DUIs before that ever happened. You can tell I'm still... <sighs> and then even that I've walked with you over my years here with you as your senior pastor... Um, 
when my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and you saw that awful degenerative disease that took away her mind and then her life? I mean, don't you pull back and say, yes, that's, that's, not, my way. that's not what I would have chosen. Your ways are not my ways. Are they really better then? I, I think I've told you so often in those times, I've come back to the text I preached to you about earlier this year, John chapter 14, where Jesus told them something that they didn't want to hear. They didn't like where he was going, what he was doing. And do you remember what he said? He said, um, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust God, trust me on this one. I know where I'm going and I'm going for you. I know what I'm doing and I'm doing it for you. Though you can't see it now, you've got to trust me on this one. And we're left with that issue all the time. Do we really trust that God's ways are not only different than, but better than ours? Uh, we, we face it every day with the temptation that we face. Everything inside of my human flesh says, I want to do that. We look at God's word and we already know that God says, no, but I've made you to do this and it's better That's not going to be good for you, even though you think that's going to bring the pleasure or whatever that I think I have got to have. And we look and and God says to us, "Ah, no, not that, but this. We have a decision to make. Do we really believe that God's ways are are, are different than and better than ours? Now, I've been following Jesus for longer than some of you have been alive, over 55 years. And I'll just tell you, increasingly, my confidence in the fact that God's ways are better than ours, even when I don't see them at the moment, uh, continues to grow. I, I've always believed it in my head. You know, uh, God made us, so he knows how he made us to live, so I, I believe that. But this experience thing, of when I reject him and go my own way, that that doesn't work out the way I thought it would. doesn't bring everything I thought it would, but when I go his way, it, it, are you with me here? And so, when when we come to this uh, particular issue that's facing us, we have to ask, what are God's ways with regard to matters like practice of sex and, and, and marriage and family? And I'll just tell you, I cannot get away from the fact that when I read the Bible from beginning to end, that God has created marriage to be what my brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world and throughout history have said that God created it to be, to include both a man and woman committed to one another within a lasting relationship. And that, that, Jesus, uh, and that Jesus himself talked about this. Now you know that now that whole view and talking about it comes across as unloving, but you know that Jesus loved people, don't you? Uh, if, if you're, again, new to church and you've really never read about Jesus, the thing that has drawn people to Jesus throughout the years, you read about him and, and, and you see the way that he engaged people and it was just remarkable, marginalized people especially, people that nobody else uh, welcomed and found any hope in. Jesus was the one who offered hope and forgiveness and a new life. I mean, regardless of, of issues of ethnicity and, and background and failure, he always welcomed. And yet that same loving Jesus who then died so that we could be forgiven would always enter into a life and he would say, if you're going to really find life, you're going to have to deny yourself. Oh, it's hard for us to do. Because I, I just want to give in to myself. <laughs> 
So out of his love, he turns and he says, this is the way that you're supposed to live. You must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Have your life shaped by what I... Is that loving? Do we believe his ways are higher than and better than ours? That's the issue that I have to face in this. Do I trust him? So when I come and really think about what this loving Jesus that I place my faith in says about marriage, the place uh, that most people turn to is Matthew 19, 4 to 6. And at that point, Jesus was in discussion with people who thought it was a different issue in a way, but it had to do with marriage also. They felt that God's standards about marriage were too hard and too confining. Even Jesus' own disciples, when he tried to explain it, would say, this is too hard. There aren't going to be any Christians around here if we hold on to this. (laughs) And so uh, many of the people, including some of the religious leaders like the Pharisees, we're trying to argue that there have to be more rooms for, for breaking this traditional understanding of marriage and, and allowing for divorce. And so the same loving Jesus spoke into that and says, no, God's intent was that some wonderful things will happen through marriage as he made it to, to be. And this is what he said. I put it up here just so you can see it. He turned to them and said, haven't you read? Don't you know what God has said? That at the very beginning, the Creator made them human beings, male and female, and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Talking about that part of the marital union, the sexual part that binds us together. Then then they are no longer two, they are one flesh, and what God has joined together, let no one separate. So we read something like that, and that matter of Isaiah 55 comes back again. God's ways are not the ways that are generally out in the world, or that we're even inclined to, but but are they they better than? It's, It's how Jesus said God intended it to be. Now. There's a hush, so I think you are listening. I have to tell you, I know that traditional marriage as Jesus envisioned it is in a tough place in our world. And many of you know how hard it is because it was hard for them back in Matthew 19 to be able to live in these lasting relationships because we're hard to get along with, right? I mean, this is hard. Uh, And I know that, that in our own society and in our own church, we feel how hard this is. Um... The same matter they faced, we face, where uh, the issues of just working this out and these difficulties, one will do it and the other one won't. The divorce is still an issue that we have to wrestle with. It it just hits at this thing. Um, And I'm guessing all of us, either in our own lives or in our friends' lives or our family lives, we, we, we know this. I certainly have in my family how much has happened with my my brother and sister and so many others. Uh, Another thing that hits it, there are more than these, but our own human flesh hits at it. (laughs) Because one of the things that holds us together is if we're faithful to one another. And you know, with all of the uh, temptation to be sexually unfaithful, almost daily we have this battle that hits at the heart of what holds our marriages together. You know what I'm talking about here, don't you? And so what happened on Friday is that our nation's Supreme Court rendered a decision that also hit at the, at the definition of, or, or understanding of what a marriage is that includes this, what I think of as a beautiful diversity of both male and female uh, coming together in this kind of lasting relationship. 
Now, here's our situation. Um, what God's word has taught hasn't changed. Uh, what's changed in our nation is that the constitutional understanding of what a marriage is has changed in our nation. So that what I foresee happening is that uh, in the future, increasingly, I think the way that our society will use the term marriage will be different from what we mean uh, when we talk about the word in the Bible. You see that? And it's going to take some time to work this out, how, the, how, that, how that's to be played out. It's, and, and as I look for guidance, I, I don't find too much help, so we're going to need just find our help from the Lord and, and help as we continue to seek God and seek to love people. Now, I find some help from the early church. Uh, our early brothers and sisters, first two centuries, they had to uh, speak about God's morals <laughs> in a world that didn't agree with them. Uh, the Greek and the Roman world did not agree with this sort of thing that, that there's supposed to be a lasting relationship in which our sexual practices were in that covenant of marriage. And, and they had to talk about that. They had to live that out in their world. And that, I'm sure that was challenging for them. But one of the things that you see is that as they committed themselves to living the way the Bible taught them to live, it made them a different kind of a people in the worlds in which they were in. So you can read uh, things like Rodney Stark. He's a Berkeley-trained sociologist. I think he's teaching at Baylor right now. He has asked the question and written a number of books about how is it uh, that the early church was able to grow in the midst of a world that disagreed with them and other religions weren't growing. And he pointed out several things, and one of them I've talked to you about before. Their incredible love for one another and for the people of their world. So that when plagues hit and, and people abandoned their own children and, 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 and their friends and neighbors, Christians went and loved people and, and, and provided food and provided housing when nobody else would. And I, I think I've cited for you that one emperor, his name was Julian, who was trying to get rid of Christians because he didn't like Christians. And he wrote one of his generals and said he's failing. And I love what he had to say. He said, uh, we can't get rid of these rotten Galileans, is what he called Christians at that time. Because, he said, they care for their own poor and ours as well. So, so it's the, the character, the quality of the true love that they express for the people in the world around them. Uh, that drew them. But the second thing that strikes me is the other thing that, that drew people to the church was the distinctive, lasting nature of marriages. And it's made me think that perhaps... For us in our day, it means that we as a church need to focus much more on, on providing the support that our marriages and our families need in these times when so many things hit at the heart of it. And so to all of you who are feeling that and facing that, I, I just want to make that commitment to you. I think that's one of the things that's happened out of this. Now, of course, there's something uh, different that's happening in the 21st century from what happened with our brothers and sisters in the first and second century. Then they were sort of pre-Christian. People didn't know about it. It was all new for them. And they looked at that and said, that looks really good. Now we're more in a post-Christian society. And so in many people's eyes, uh, with these sorts of matters, the church is sort of the enemy. You, you know that. The self-righteous, the judgmental ones. Uh, that our early definitions in our country of marriage were so shaped, even whether the early founders were Christians or not, their understandings were so shaped by the Bible that, that we almost didn't even realize it. And now, of course, in this post-Christian world, that doesn't matter as much. It, it's more the polls that matter. What do most people think? 
And so we're, we're going to have to navigate this thing through. So how are we going to do that? And again, I think that the two-pronged, one command, love God in such a way we keep His commandments and make sure we love people in such a way that they know that we show them the love of Jesus, even though they may disagree with us and even be angry with us, that, that's got to guide us. So I want to chew on that for the, just a few moments that we have. Loving God. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to be a church here planted in this community that's always going to follow scripture and not culture and particularly in our understanding and practice of marriage. Because remember, loving God means to put him first. The first command, uh, uh, nothing in the place of God. And so we've got to seek him to say, what do you have to say? Uh, And let me just remind you of a couple of the... uh, Documents that we have at the church, these won't surprise you. Uh, our second article of the Statement of Faith, we went over this last fall, well, let me remind you of it. What is it that is our ultimate authority for what we believe and how we live? Let me just read it to you. It'll take on all new meaning in the light of what's happened. We say the Bible is the ultimate authority for what we believe and for how we live. Therefore, we declare the Bible is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in what it promises. That's what I believe. That's going to guide us. Then, we took this a number of years ago and developed a policy that's been long-standing, but I bet many of you haven't even read it, though it's been on the website, about how we apply that to this issue of marriage. And, And here's what we write. We believe, based on the teaching of the scriptures, our authority, in both the Old and New Testament, that marriage is an institution ordained by God from the foundation of the world and intended as a lifelong union of one man and one woman. And that's what shapes our policy. Does this surprise you that this is our church's policy? I bet you haven't gone on the website to look for it. But I bet you will now. It's much longer than what I've just read for you. See, documents like... Now, I've got to say this too, just so you don't miss it. Uh, That's a policy, uh, given our best understanding of Scripture, but the policy is not the Bible. So in a church like ours, we're always going to keep coming back to see if we've read it right, if we've got this right, but as best we understand it, we're going to apply it in this way and, and live that way. That's one way we're going to love God. We're going to search for His Word. We're going to trust that His ways are better than ours. And I'm going to call us to obey it. But then, beyond that, loving people. All right. How do we live in a world that might even be angry with us for wanting to obey God? Well, here's what I've written for you. I don't know if this is the best way to put it. I want us to seek to reflect the ways of Jesus in how we relate to the people of this world. I mean, it's going to be a challenge. I mean, how do you and I know how to obey God's word and then also to go out into the world and say, this is really good if people disagree and, and it even think we're the problem. That's really a, a challenging thing. So I'm going to give you two principles before we go home. All right, number one. I want us uh, we, we're, we're to, to do this. We're going to hold on, hold one another to God's moral standards in the church without taking negative shots at the people in our world who do not know him. I didn't get any amens there. We're, we're going <laughs> to... 
we're in the church when we follow Jesus, we're going to say, when I follow Jesus, I said, uh, I'm going to deny my own self. I'm going to follow him. And then, but we know that's not easy to do. We need his Holy Spirit to help us. And he puts us in a Christian community to hold one another accountable to actually live what we say we believe. We're going to be tempted to live all sorts of other ways. So we're going to confront one another and hold one another accountable uh, to living for God without taking shots, negative shots, at the people in our world who don't know him. And there is one passage that is of enormous importance to this. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. It's been one, I feel like, I'm going to read this thing, and I'm going to wonder whether you've ever read it before. It's been one that's been largely ignored in our world, because I think our churches have gotten to be so big here in the United States, when in the Bible times they were so little, that we feel like, ah, we can just go out there and and yell at people and, and make them do what we want them to do. But Paul says that's not how we deal with people out in the world. He knew we had to call God's people, us, to living what we preach. But then how do we relate to a world that disagrees? And this is what he said. He had already written them one letter. Saying, now when people just insist, they say they're followers of Jesus, they insist on rejecting Jesus and not living his ways. He wrote them a letter. We don't have that letter, but we have this one, 1 Corinthians. I wrote to you not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but then is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer. Notice all the things he puts in there. Or a drunkard or a swindler. Anybody who's walking away from God not wanting to keep his commands. And then unmistakable, verses 12 and 13. Paul says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God God will judge those outside. I'll just tell you, he can do his job just fine. He doesn't need our help to do his job. Have you noticed that passage before? I find it to be remarkably relevant to our current situation. So, we've got to hold one another accountable, actually, to living what we tell people that we believe. But then we don't just take negative shots at the world out there. Because we know God. We know he's good. And if he asks us to do something that's hard, and he does, doesn't he? That he's to be trusted. But the world that isn't alive to God doesn't know God. They don't have the power to live for God. They have no will to live for God if they don't know he's good. But you and I do, right? And so what we have to do is be so committed to God that the world looks and sees something different. And prayerfully what people will see is something good. Now, second principle, final one. How do we actually love people when when there's such disagreement? And I think the life of Jesus shows us how. uh, To live for God in a world that doesn't know him and doesn't agree with us. Um, this will take a whole sermon another day, but I'll just lay out for you. I've talked to you about some of this before. I think as I look at the life of Jesus and how he engaged with people, four phrases sort of sum it up. Uh, be ready. Uh, enter in. Uh, call to. And walk with. Okay, be ready. I want you to be able to know what you believe about the practice of human sexuality, about 
what a marriage means. I, I want you to know it. I want you to, to, to say, can I defend that biblically? I want you to do work on this. I want you to ask yourself, do I believe that God's way is good? Do I really believe it? So be ready. As, as Peter would say, when people ask you to give a reason for this hope that you have, be ready to give a defense for that. So it starts there. You and me really being, you and I really being convinced uh, that God's way is good and this is what he says too. Then if we really believe that God is good and, and that what God says about marriage is so beautiful and so good, then when we enter in, we've got to enter into relationships with people with respect, even people who disagree with you. Respect them and listen. Be willing to say, this is what I believe and why? Talk to me. Uh, Pastor Bill Mead said, uh, we call this incarnational listening. It's a, it's a good phrase. It, it means that we have to be there. If, if we just sort of yell and we're not there really listening, uh, then, then there won't be a relationship and we'll get a hearing. Uh, two, I think I've used this other phrase uh, of intellectual hospitality. <laughs> that we've got to be ready instead of just thinking, how am I going to disagree? actually welcoming and listening to the way that people are thinking about things. And then I was with Gary Haugen two weeks ago, who's the president of the International Justice Mission, and I got to have lunch with him, and he gave me a third phrase. And he, he called it humble curiosity. Humble curiosity. In other words, you say, this is what we believe. Christians have believed this always. Actually, all peoples all over the world through history have believed this. It's, uh, and then with humble curiosity, say, I need to hear a different perspective because this is the one the whole world has held up until the last ten years. So, so enter in. So be ready. Enter in. And eventually we have to call to because this Jesus who loved people when he entered into lives, he knew that the way people were living, the way they were, ultimately was killing their own lives. And so there always comes a point at which Jesus would turn and say, all right, if anyone will find life, if anyone will come after me and find life, you must deny yourself, take up a cross and follow me. It means your life has to be surrendered to God. There's going to come a time in every relationship where you and I have to find the courage to call people to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then finally, when people respond, and people will respond, they will it, it's happened throughout the When we give witness with our words in our lives, there will be people, who come to, be people who come to Jesus. We've got to walk with. Because nobody can grow to live for God in this tough world on their own. We have to have a community like this. Oh, I'll leave it at that for right now. But let me tell you, over the last day and a half, I have become increasingly thankful for the opportunity to be alive right now and to be a part of a church like this one right now. I think God has brought us together for such a time as this. Do you agree? For such a time as this. He calls us to give witness to this world by our lives and by our words. I feel like... What's going to be happening in our country is this distinction between those who really follow Jesus and those who don't is going to become clearer. It's been so long, it could sort of be a muddled gray area. I sort of go to church, but I still live for myself. That's going to be hard to do. You and I and our commitments to Jesus will have to be much, much clearer, and that's going to be a good thing 
for all true followers of Jesus. I I think we're going to have to make renewed commitments to our relationships, uh, particularly our marriage relationships, showing the faithfulness and sacrificial love for one another that the Bible calls us to show to a world that needs to see that. And I believe this, that, that, that if what I preach to you is right, that this is what God means when he talks about a marriage and, and, and how good it is for the society and for the world, that eventually the world that right now thinks, oh, at last, now we're going to be set free to be who we really are and we're going to find our lives that we never be able to find before, we'll find that that's not all that life is about. So, so many times we get these promises. If this happens, then, boy, every, my life is going to be what it should be because at last I can be who I am. But then when we see who we are, we see we need God. <laughs> Every one of us. And, and people are going to still say, oh, then where is life to be found? And if we can be the people who have found it in Jesus and show it by our love, by our distinctive lives, it will bring glory to the Lord. Um, Pastor Jeff sent me a a column from a Washington Post columnist, Russell Moore, who's a Christian man, who wrote on the Friday, I think, after this decision was made. And I I put this here so you could think about it. There are two sorts of churches that will not be able to reach the kind of world we are in with the good news of God's love. One, a church that has given up on the truth of Scripture, including on marriage and sexuality, and has nothing to say to a fallen world. And two, a church that screams with outrage at those who disagree with us. I say amen. So this is our challenge. We have to live in this world with both conviction and with kindness. Holding on to the truth but always with grace. We've got to hold on to our biblical views about what is good and at the same time love those who hate us for holding on to those views. And brothers and sisters, we've got to practice what we preach. We've got to practice what we preach. So we have to say what Jesus revealed about marriage, but we must say those things the way that Jesus said them. I think Moore called it with a Jesus accent. And that is with mercy toward people, with an invitation to new life for all. Yes, I mean for all who will follow him by faith. To his glory. Amen. We will continue this dialogue. You know that one way preaching is not the end of this matter. There's going to have to be a lot of us talking with one another. What about this? How do I live here? We're beginning a journey together, brothers and sisters, but may it be one uh, that makes us more genuine and authentic in our walk with God. So let's pray to that end. Oh, Father, our children have led us today saying that you have the power You do. We believe that and we need it. The power right now to guide us. The power to help us to understand your wisdom. 
the power more and more to live the way your word teaches us to live. Father, those of us who have trusted Jesus know that you are good. Your ways are higher and better than ours. I pray for some who've come to church today who hear this and wonder if that's true. I've never really met you and I pray that today they might come to know how wonderful and beautiful you are through faith in Jesus. Work through your spirit in hearts today. Drawing people to yourself. And then Father, I simply pray for us as a church that, you will, that we will be here in the San Gabriel Valley and in our nation and world what you've called us to be. Your witnesses to your truth and to your love. Oh Lord, we need your help. But you promised it, so we're going to count on it. In Jesus' name, amen.